Okay, so we're going U.S. sanctions, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess the genesis for this discussion was obviously the uh, decision to take our Iran policy in a whole new direction with the uh, targeted uh, killing of Qassem uh, Soleimani uh, by the Trump administration and the threatening both of uh, significant new sanctions against Iran and also uh, apparently Iraq for objecting uh, to us carrying out that uh, <laughs> that is that that killing assassination whatever you want to call it uh, on their soil at the fucking right? airport uh, yeah they said at they the said airport. can you not do that and we said we're going to starve you to death and your kids <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. We we said we do whatever the fuck we want and uh, don't mouth off, yeah. or you'll regret it. Well, it's interesting because we were engaged in nation building, uh, as I understood it, in Iraq, uh, and we're uh, theoretically like standing up some uh, new uh, nation there, and now we're gonna starve them out. Uh, which <laughs> sort of also begs the question of what the fuck was the past, uh, you know. 10 or 15 years all about if that's the case but okay um, what a strong and independent iraq and the second they show any actual signs <laughs> of strength and independence we're gonna fucking grind them into the dirt <laughs> what was this quote sanctions like they've never seen now uh, they had been sanctioned uh back under saddam and as i recall it those were pretty crippling but in um, the entire 90s Tony Blair famously yeah. said that, uh, you know, a good part of the war is that it ended the sanctions. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. You fucking moron. There you go. Listening to A Lab. My name is Tarek. Uh, as usual, I sat down with Michael and Andy this time to talk about United States economic sanctions, a often characterized as reasonable approach to uh, statecraft, uh, which in practice is often anything but. Hope you enjoy. So I thought it would make some sense for us to devote some time to maybe talking a little bit about this. I happen to have some experience with this. I know Michael does as well, but I thought it'd be helpful to kind of maybe lay out what sanctions are, how they work, and then take a look at two sanctions programs in particular, the Cuba and the Iran embargoes, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. We're going to focus on, I think, U.S. sanctions because that's our focus. Uh, But obviously, these are a tool of, quote unquote, economic statecraft that have been around uh, for a long time. Certainly, uh, Wilson in the League of Nations, he thought uh, what a great thing this would be if we could all work together to starve out bad actors (laughs) and bring other countries into compliance. And uh, the U.N., for example, sanctions others do. But. This uh, seems to be a way for us to 
feel that we're being extremely responsible uh, adults uh, by not dropping bombs on people, but rather uh, engaging in a proliferated siege uh, of, uh, of, of those Listen, people. Listen, I could be uh, shooting you in the head right now, but I, instead I'm just choking you and you can still breathe through the hole <laughs> that, I've, that I've put on your neck. <laughs> exactly. You're welcome. Um, I, I mean, I think this is best understood as, as I mean, economic warfare. Uh, right. You know, and, and I think uh, particularly insidious in the modern era when we have a sort of a global and interconnected uh, economy. Uh, it's, I guess, we believe that these sanctions are designed to bring changes about. Right. Like we're going to either right. topple a regime by making their populace so miserable uh, that they rise up or that we're going to you know, force a bad actor to the table to agree to uh, deals with us. I think of the, the two the two generally stated aims of right. economic sanctions. And, and I think it's I think it's worth like spending a second on that. Right. Because like it, I don't know, at least for me, this is something that I accepted uncritically for a while and I, I i don't quite remember when i had this moment where i was like wait a minute <laughs> this is <laughs> wait this is kind of horrific when you <laughs> when you think about it like the idea of imposing such misery and immiseration on a country that like the populace essentially demands new rule rulers or new government or the government is like brought to heel is it's just it, it's quite literally you know intentionally cruel for the purpose of being cruel right like that's the idea is this should be as miserable and terrible as possible it's I, I don't know. It's like always framed as like this is, yeah, the alternative, the humane alternative to warfare or whatever. It's sanctions. That's what like doves use as opposed to like hawks, right, who want to drop right. bombs. But it's just as horrific. And additionally, it has the effect of specifically ta- concentrating the costs on the least powerful people in a nation. Right. Because right. shit rolls downhill, right? Like leaders do not go hungry during famines okay like when when there is a shortage of supplies the the place that that hits first is the bottom up and so when you impose uh economic misery it's going to impose those costs on the people uh who have the least to do with whatever you're complaining about and have the least ability to do anything about it right right so it, it, it should be noted that the UN, for example, can and does impose sanctions. And there are ways to do this multilaterally. Um, other countries uh, other than the US, the EU most notably, but others uh, can impose sanctions. But the US really is uh, one of the primary actors in this space, uh, right. in part because of the severe leverage we have as kind of the fulcrum of the uh, global financial system. Right. So when we impose sanctions and we do so unilaterally, we have ways of causing uh, pain and making our sanctions, you know, sort of unavoidable uh, in ways that, say, Canada, you know, does not. Uh, So that's one thing to note. So when when we when we when we uh, administer sanctions, uh, U.S. Treasury is the primary actor. uh, And in particular, its Office of Foreign Assets Control or OFAC. But 
Commerce Department, Intelligence, NSC, the State Department are all uh, actors uh, as well in this. Um, and, um, and sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to add one. New York, New York's got a state regulatory agency, the Department of Financial Services, and they, they enforce sanctions pretty aggressively as well. Although it's my understanding that New York DFS uh, will go after actors under its regulatory authority, banks, uh, et cetera, in, the, in, in, in New York for violating U.S. sanctions, right? Like New York itself yeah, 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 is they, not... Sorry, yeah. sorry they're, they're, they're an enforcer. They're not a, a regulator. Yeah. yeah. Right. But they're, they're, they're very... They're, they're maybe the most aggressive enforcer of U.S. sanctions. Um, Including OFAC or outside of OFAC? I, in my experience, at least, they were more aggressive than OFAC. At least with our clients, they were. So... You know, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm aware I'm aware that they've they've they got active in that space a few years ago, but I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that they'd uh, passed OFAC as far as oh yeah, they, uh, scary to scale. I mean, we had to we had to have separate settlements with them, and they were always far more um, onerous, and uh, they they wanted to cooperate less with with the the targets and bigger fines and, and more willing to just be like, we're going to fucking yank your license and we don't give a shit. You're going <laughs> to, you know, they were just like, put you out of business. I, I think there's a lot of like interstate politics, like, you know, the AG and the governor and, you know, weren't uh, seeing eye to eye. And so there's a way like all sorts of like weird power plays involved. But DFS, when I was working in sanctions, they were like, they were just, they were kind of crazy. Yeah. And you in, can kind of see that reverberating in some of the, the settlements out there. Like when, um, when the settlement with BNP, which I know we're going to talk about, gets announced, uh, it's careful to mention that specifically this is a global settlement, and specifically we negotiated a global settlement, in, and, and DFS gets called out specifically. So you can see right. like the reverberations of that in the documents, where if you know that's going on, uh, you can see why that gets called out specifically, because this is a total settlement of the issue. Right, exactly. Yeah. So when we... When we, when we Issue sanctions. We're typically looking to issue them in a in a in a in three three basic ways, right? Number one, we put bad guys on a bad guy list. They're sort of list based sanctions. Um, these typically are your terrorists, uh, drug kingpins, corrupt businesses, vessels. There are thousands and thousands of entities, people, yeah. planes, boats uh, on lists <laughs> that we maintain. That it is strictly illegal to do business of any kind with any sort of transaction with uh right. and so there are there are like literally again just there's thousands of those on various lists um there are then sectoral sanctions that get issued uh in a, on a limited basis and those involve specified types of transactions with specified entities or individuals like oil transactions with certain Russian oligarchs, things like that. And then lastly, there are country-based regimes, right? And those can be either limited or they can be uh, total embargoes. So we have country-based sanctions, again, with Russia, uh, which target certain specific portions of their industry, specific assets that get frozen or other things. Um, but uh, we also have countries that they're just complete embargoes where virtually any transaction with them with certain humanitarian exceptions, which we'll talk about are kind of bullshit, right. are completely yeah. forbidden, right? And right. it's my understanding that as of today, you've got Cuba, North Korea, Iran, 
Syria and the Crimea region of, of Ukraine are totally embargoed uh, by the U.S. Yeah, like you said, it's a it's basically a modern day siege. It's like nothing's coming in, nothing's going out um, to the to the best we can, you know, uh, effectuate that at least. And so what happens is a lot of these countries, they end up, you know, like North Korea, their, their patron state is like China. Right. And that's right. that's what props up their economy. And, and, and I think for a while, Cuba and Russia, uh, and, you know, the USSR and, and they become dependent on our, you know, foreign adversaries for keeping their economies afloat. It's cool if you if you group those together. I never really thought about the grouping itself. You know, if you take Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria, and you put those together and you try to think about, like, what characterizes these countries on the international stage, and it's that, yeah, they're totally cowed by the United States, and this is working. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, yeah, in the, case of, in the case of Cuba, it's been working for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, Iran, too, actually. We'll talk about that. But um, so what this means is, is that, you know, most transactions with any kind of U.S. nexus then become strictly illegal under a strict liability statute. Yeah. And when we talk about U.S. nexus, what we mean is if, they're, if you're a German company and you've got an American person working there, uh, there's a U.S. nexus that you've got to think about right. already. A green card holder, a U.S. citizen, uh, just simply present in the building, uh, you've got a nexus. Obviously, U.S. domiciled companies. Any mm. transactions done in U.S. dollars, and this is the real killer. U.S. dollars, um, yeah. And any transactions involving U.S. origin goods, even. Right. So, if sooner um, or later some part of your transaction ends up passing through New York, you're fucking. You have to follow this. Well, I mean, one one interesting thing is like, for example, if you were doing a deal with Iran, you're a Turkish national or something um you're dealing completely in euro uh there's no nexus if you take a flight to the u.s and you and you get you get have a layover in jfk and you do a call uh as part of that business good news even standing on <laughs> physically on u.s soil uh is a sufficient u.s nexus to bring, of course. bring that transaction into the yeah. into the sort of ambit of of the U.S. sanctions, and laws. to extend a, a little branch to our non-lawyer listeners, a strict liability just means that there is no consideration of what you were thinking at the time. Were you negligent, or did you mean to do it, yeah. or anything? It just means the only standard for finding out if you're uh, if you can be sanctioned or you can be fined by OFAC on this is did you participate in a transaction with these forbidden entities uh, and did it have a U.S. nexus? That's it. doesn't matter what you were thinking. doesn't matter if it was an accident. Doesn't it, Nobody gives a shit. Right. Right. And, the, the, I mean, the government doesn't tell you much other than this region is prohibited to do business with. Or right. here's a list of the SDNs uh, who you may not do business with. Um, you have to sort of figure out. Yeah. Well, if I do this and we go through our Canadian affiliate and something, so you know, I, it, it the, the the sort of design of how you comply with these laws. There's no rules as to what you need to do. You know, screening your transactions to make sure you're not dealing with narco terrorists or whatever. They don't really lay it out. What they say is, if we find that you've engaged in a transaction that's illegal, you're in trouble. Uh, and and so it creates sort of an enormous cottage industry 
within business, both uh, globally and specifically in the U.S., on how you're going to manage these uh, manage these these risks. Yeah, because like uh, you know, I'm not in law anymore, and I'm in small business. Um, but we had a we had a customer that was recently designated. It was put on a, mm. uh, put on a list, and you know, in a sense, we were kind of lucky that it was like a high profile enough that I like saw it on my Twitter feed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, it's good for something. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, it's not like somebody from the government called us up and was like, Hey, we know you've done business with XYZ before and heads up they're sanctioned now. And so I saw that and I looked it up and I read some news reports and it said that it was like based on technology and where we don't do a lot of tech stuff. But then I dug in and I called like, you know, a regional office and I spoke to some people and it was like, no, you can't do any business with them. And, you know, we very easily could have just like run afoul of this law because we're a small business and we don't have a fucking compliance officer and, you know, anything like that. Keeping tabs on this shit. And uh, we kind of got lucky and caught it before. And what often will happen in these cases is you exactly right. You have a problematic association within your business you know you're doing business with this this individual who's becomes designated after the fact as a as an sdn or you you have what you believe to be otherwise lawful transactions into one of these jurisdictions that we're talking about um and so you're usually not just doing it once right you're doing it yeah over and over you know we've we have multiple shipments with these people or through this jurisdiction and so the, the, the why this is interesting is because the way that these penalties get 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 um assigned is on the basis of transactions right so right each transaction can be as much as a million and a half dollars each time you do something the the, the penalty can be a million and a half dollars for each transaction is that what you're saying that's right. Yeah. Um, a million and a half dollar penalty for certain kingpins that you might be dealing with. The Iran, dealing into Iran, I think is $300,000 mm-hmm. a pop. Uh, the Cuba violations are something like $90,000. So if you're talking about behaviors that you're engaging in in the normal course of commerce, um, you can suddenly be staring down a, a fairly large uh, bill. Right. Um, civil penalties are usually the way that they go with these things. And it sort of depends on, they can give you a break based on whether or not you self-reported the conduct right. to the, the regulator. Um, and then they make a determination whether or not your behavior was what they call egregious. Right. Uh, and egregiousness is kind of like pornography. They know it when they see it, but... <laughs> Uh, things like trying to conceal it, you know, yeah. knowing that it was illegal. Um, were you uh, frustrating the aims of the sanctions program by, you know, selling fissile nuclear material to <laughs> Iran? Or were you, you know, simply um, getting insulin to Syrians? You know, I, they, they take some degree of, of consideration into, into how much you, you fucked up the program or undermined the program. Uh, right. As well. I, I- there's a like one one example of in like public record it's like an iranian sanctions one was a british bank that was um engaged in cross-border transactions and the way that's done is with these what's called swift messages which i think we're going to talk about later a little more but they go from bank to bank and they explain you know where the transactions originating and where it's ending 
And if Iran is in one of those fields, it gets flagged. And so the bank, right. their policy, like directed from, I think, their head of legal counsel was just like, well, you know, just delete Iran and just put... <laughs> Just put like a period there. That's fine. And then it'll get through right. their filters and it would like get through the U.S. filters. And when they, when they got caught, they're like, OK, well, this is fucking, you know, this is egregious. That, that's, you know, that's that's egregious. We admit yeah. that this might have been egregious. Yeah. yeah. So the so the conceptual frame here uh, for people not familiar with this kind of regulatory scheme is like a is like a gatekeeper liability. You 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 don't have a, an ability to directly regulate the target, and so you move the culpability circle out one degree from them, or two right. degrees from them, or five degrees from them, until you can find a place where you can start applying pressure, and then uh, you start you start clamping down on those people because they will have the ability to monitor. Uh, the transactions that you want to affect. They will have the ability to uh, impose controls uh, on the transactions you want to affect. And so that, that's, that's the conceptual frame of this. We can't, we can't like actually prevent Iran from exporting oil, but if we squeeze everyone who tries to send them money for oil, we can effectively stop them. And, and the pressure point is usually financial institutions because they want access to the New York market and the U.S. market and U.S. dollars. Yeah, the money laundering frame has a similar type of regulatory structure to this. Yeah, so I mean, again, I mean, not to cry, not to cry tears for American or or, or global financial institutions or other global <laughs> corporations, but you know, I mean, fundamentally, enforcement of this is passed on to yep. them, right? Right? Uh, it's passed on to to the people that would be, you know, have the temerity to do business anywhere near such countries or such persons, and. Um, you do so under the pain of potentially massive fines. I mean, you, you hear about people getting slapped on the wrist a lot, but in the case of sanctions, I mean, there have been some yeah. fairly hefty fines that, that get doled out on fairly fairly regular basis, right. uh, up to and including, I mean, uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but you know, they're, they're criminal uh, penalties as well. Uh, and right. people have been jailed. Uh, you could be thrown into jail up to 20 or 30 years per violation, in some right. cases. And so without a large enforcement mechanism or global police or anything else, you know, we, we are able to kind of pass the enforcement on to the private sector, which sort of has to keep itself out of trouble under the pains of, you know, reputational and, and criminal and civil fines. Um, uh, and in doing so uh, have been extremely effective. Right. So as we were saying, EU, UN, other countries impose sanctions. But in the U.S., we're particularly good at it because our financial system is right in the middle. Um, any exchange of money from one currency to the another uh, usually involves converting first to dollars. Right? right. I think something like what's the stat? I have 88 percent of all foreign exchange transactions <laughs> right. get flipped through a dollar at some point. Right. So. 88% of global transactions involving multiple currencies uh, are theoretically subject to right. U.S. sanctions, despite us not being in the, in the middle of these things otherwise. Right. And, 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 major, and major resources in the world are denominated in dollars, right? The petrodollar regime under which oil is denominated in dollars uh, gives uh, the United States an enormous amount of power. Right. That's right. So in most cases, you'll see... The real threat we have is not only can we bring what what would otherwise not be a U.S. person or U.S. company 
uh, under our thumb. Um, but we can threaten to lock you out. Right. So, right. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Michael, you, you familiar with the BNP case recently? I mean, they, they paid Paribas, $9 billion, yeah. right? Yeah. BNP Paribas paid, yeah, $9 million. Uh, nine, $9 billion. billion. <laughs> $9 million. Yeah. yeah, $9 billion. And that was, uh, I think that was Iranian and uh, Korean, North Korean sanctions or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. there was def- I, think was, I think there were multiple programs. Right. But- um, right. And but their big concern was was not the nine billion dollars. It was that they were going to get frozen out of U.S. the U.S. financial system. And they wanted that to be as short a period of time as possible. You know, that, right. and I think it ended up being like a year or something, which was which is a heavy, heavy hit. And they were doing the thing know? that you were talking about, where they were just, you know, deleting uh, the other side of the transaction, deleting the country name or just replacing it <laughs> with the bank name and saying, yeah, it's us. We're the ones doing it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like, yeah, yeah. Standard Chartered had like two billion in fines. Um, ELF Cosmetics, right? Which now that's a funny one because it's just like talking about um, talking about like how vigilant you have to be with this stuff. Is right. ELF is like a San Francisco maker of four dollar fake eyelash kits, among other cosmetics. Um, some of their eyelash kits had North Korean components in them <laughs> and they were importing them. It wasn't even that they were importing them from North Korea or anything else, but it's like, I, well, I mean, what was that? The hair or the glue? I, I don't even know like what, what, how many components there are in a North Korean or in a, in a, in a fake eyelash kit. But, uh, you know, they were fined millions of dollars just, just for that, I think. Um, right. And then, of course, like the Huawei ZTE cases, uh, where right. we've had enormous uh, uh, struggles uh, and enormous sort of back and forth with 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 the Chinese uh, cell phone companies. Uh, I think Huawei's uh, CFO was detained for at least a week in Canada right. on a on a federal U.S. warrant around this stuff. Um, and a lot of this comes down to in most cases, like things like uh, their phones that have U.S. chips in them, right. U.S. origin components in phones uh, being sold uh, into Iran. And for the financial institutions, like we we're saying, it's you can't survive if you can't do business in New York and if you can't survive, if you can't do business in U.S. dollars, you know, and that's it's sort of the backbone of the, the world economy. So we have we have tremendous leverage. Um, it's also why, like, a reg- random state agency has tremendous leverage over international corporations as well, because they can pull, the, you know, their state license, and, and that screws them. Right, and so the effect of this has been to rapidly expand this power, because it's addictive. I mean, you can do right. anything you fucking want, and nobody's going to do shit against you. I mean, or at least that right. that's the calculus they appear to be proceeding on, is that no one, nothing's ever going to change, no one's ever going to push back, and we have ultimate power. Right. We can execute you uh, economically. Well, and to the to the point of, you know, kind of inventing new kinds of sanctions. Right. So like the other one, the other one to be aware of, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is now we have secondary sanctions, <laughs> which is, um, OK, we can sanction individuals. We can sanction certain transactions, certain sectors of, of or we can just blockage your whole damn country. Or, you know, if you're a UK company that's doing business with one of these companies 
not in dollars, no nexus whatsoever. Right. We'll just cut you off anyway. Right. Um, yeah, and, yeah, you end up with so, the same status as, as, as Iran, uh, and if anyone does business with you, they're fucked. And, I mean, it's the secondary sanctions that I think have generated a, a, a fair amount of, of squawking from the international community, more so even than the, than the primary ones. Because there it's simply a case of, okay, we know we can't have a U.S. nexus, um, but we still live in the world. We may have different policy aims, you know, if you're France or somebody else, uh, and we'd like to do business in Iran. And so we won't do it in dollars, and we won't, we'll make sure that there are no U.S. people uh, involved and then still you may find yourself on the receiving end of uh, yourself being sanctioned and thrown out of the U.S. financial system anyway. So uh, suffice to say that um, our toolkit is extremely varied and extremely powerful uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to sanctions. And use of secondary sanctions is expanding. If you look at the ones that just dropped, uh, I was looking at just before we started, and it's, and it's all secondary sanctions that are being applied to these new entities because – OFAC's looking at it going, okay, the president said we got to sanction somebody. I mean, what the fuck is left? Um, right. I guess we just got to sanction everybody on earth who might know a guy. If you've ever heard of Iran, you know, you probably yeah. owe money to OFAC. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. Move outside and let the man go through, let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through, let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through, let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through, let the man go So I thought it'd be useful to, to take a look at two of the two of, two of the embargoes. Um, they're two of the long-standing ones. Um, I think two of the sort of more questionable ones, at least in the in the if you're operating from the theory that these things should produce a result, I would think in the case of Cuba and Iran, you might question whether or not uh, that operating thesis is valid. Um, the Cuba program has been enforced since October of 1960. Uh, this is literally the longest enduring embargo in world history, I think. Um, cool. You know, and it's fair to say, I think that uh, we have not toppled uh, the communist regime uh, in, in Cuba to date. Um, and it almost seems in a way like, a, you know, kind of an artifact of another time and place almost. Does anybody even remember sort of the missile crisis and the Bay of Pigs and all this stuff at this point? I mean, I, apparently there there are some. John Bolton but, um, does. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> yeah, about that in a minute. Um, but this is a this is again this is a this is a total embargo, uh, which includes travel bans for U.S. persons. Um, it includes virtually any kind of transaction with the with yeah. the Cuban uh, people. Or the Cuban government, um, there are restrictions on how much money uh, people with family in Cuba can send, and those numbers go up and down depending on where we're at politically. Um, right. And the the embargo is such that you know companies, 
and again, as we were discussing, you know, even companies that may not be subject to 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 U.S. law uh, have to think long and hard about taking the risk of 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 doing business into Cuba. Um, so. I gather at some point in the Obama administration, we decided maybe this wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, some some actual like rational foreign policy, uh, which was which was nice. Um, some baby steps. Um, some baby yeah. steps. Yeah. And there was an effort to have a rap, a rapprochement, right? Right, and easing the restrictions on like sending money and, and travel, and you know, I mean this. Uh, my mom was born in Cuba and, uh, and she doesn't have any family there that I know of actually. So th that doesn't hit her, but like she has friends who have family back there and it's, you can see how this stuff like hits people. Like it, it really, it, it means a lot to people. Um, uh, I don't know. It's very, it, it's weird when you see it. So, so up close and personal, you know, people just start like get teary eyed when they talk about it and shit, like, <laughs> like how much it means to them. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's like 60 year old policy. It's policy that's been around since before any of us were f fucking born. Even Tarek. Even me. <laughs> Even me. Even me. I think it's I think it's meaningful to note that part of the rapprochement was uh, the removal of you have it in your outline here this removal of state sponsor terrorism designation because that's not something that the Obama administration did lightly despite what you know the, no. their Republican critics might say uh, they they were right. all about designating things as uh, sponsors <laughs> of terrorism and to have removed it that meant that there is that was uh, an admission that at least. For a long time, there was no evidence. Intel must have had zero evidence that they were doing anything <laughs> like that, or it wouldn't have happened. Right. And, and it's like, I mean, the idea, what do we think Cuba is doing? Right? <laughs> like, what the fuck? What, oh. What do we... <laughs> oh, they're puppet mastering Venezuela. They are, right. you know, they, right. they personally got. Of course. Yeah. Morales in Bolivia, and... they definitely made sure that he got elected. Any anything we don't like in Latin America, it's it's definitely Cuba. That's right. The uh, miserated little island, <laughs> 90, 90 miles off the coast of Miami, is pulling all the strings in in fucking Brazil and Venezuela and yeah, God. So so yeah so so by by twenty fifteen, you know, we suddenly had the idea that maybe maybe you know fifty some odd years uh, was enough, <laughs> um, and so like they issued licenses that sort of people could travel there could be some investment um we removed them and then trump came in and it was clear that they didn't they weren't in love with the opening of cuba but right. i think the venezuelan situation in particular got them uh hot and bothered and determined that you know essentially the the cuban regime uh was propping up uh, socialism uh, in in Venezuela, but of course, um, in any event, in, in in April of 2019, our friend John Bolton uh, gave a speech uh, to the Bay of Pigs veterans group in Florida somewhere that was just absolutely, you know, hair raising stuff. You know, uh, just 
you know, that we were going to stand with you brave men and, you know, like reject socialism around the globe and return to a time where we stood by our principles. It's, I mean, just like shit that you like Dr. Strangelove kind of stuff, you know, like right. this anti-commie sort of grainy black and white film type right. of shit that I didn't think we even did anymore. Can, right? can you I can't even think of a more cursed idea than like. Bay of Pigs Veterans Association. <laughs> like, unbelievable. Like, nothing, nothing good can ever happen at any of their meetings, right? There can't possibly be anything good happening there. This is probably the best one in forever because I, I would imagine that some money flew, came in to say, look, we will fly you all guys to this thing. You just have to wear your stupid fucking hat like you always do at the grocery store and just sit there and listen to this guy with a mustache rail on and you get a free meal. Yeah. It's better than going yeah. to Knights of Columbus, right? <laughs> well, I'm not a Bay of Pigs expert, but weren't these guys like a bunch of weekend warriors that sort of tried to fucking cobble together a private retaking of the island? Um, and then, like, <laughs> Kennedy kind of left them out to dry, and they got their fucking completely owned in, like, two days. I that's, mean, <laughs> that's my understanding, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if I was a Bay of Pigs veteran, I'm not sure I'd go around telling anyone, let alone go to rubber chicken dinners and remember the good old days of getting fucking spanked <laughs> on fucking... a beach outside of Havana somewhere. <laughs> this is the badge of shame, not a, not a badge of honor. But in, in any event, Bolton sort of promised you know, a number of things, including shutting down... Um, sort of the burgeoning cruise business because after the Obama thing, like cruise lines went crazy and started having cultural cruises to, to Cuba. And he was going to shut down the shadow tourism industry that Obama had so, you know, fecklessly permitted. Uh, and they were going to open up um, Title Three of yet another dusty old statute, the Helms-Burton <laughs> Act, um, which apparently permits um, people to sue companies that uh, are profiting off of seized assets from the Castro revolution. Like, <laughs> like this is obviously critical, important, critically important <laughs> to our foreign policy. Right. Like again, how long ago was this? Yeah, breaking that out now. 60 years ago. Insane. Who is this? Who, so, so what are these like, who would even be like the plaintiffs in this? Would this be Cuban refugees who were dispossessed? Basically, my granddad so, so used to own couple. that dock, the cruise, exactly. the cruise ship docked right. at my granddad's old dock. And even though that you know that was fucking two generations ago, I still like in my mind he told me we owned it, and I, I now have an attachment to owning it. And uh, <laughs> right. you just told me that I can go sue Carnival Cruise Lines because they docked there. Fuck it, man, awesome. Right. You just you just handed right. me a lotto ticket, um, which is funny again because again, uh, speaking of the critical importance of all this stuff, like there are barely any lawsuits got filed with this. There are a couple against the cruise lines for for using the the docks that were seized, but nobody even knows how you're going to prosecute. Oh, I'm sure that there that there are some very. It, very interested plaintiffs bar attorneys who are scouring for plaintiffs like wait did your did your parents own anything you got to be bitter about something what story did your grandma tell you we're not going to need a lot of documentation here well you know if you get the right jury in miami i'm sure that it's yeah. not not a hard case at all
No, but I think there are significant sort of documentary evidence. Like, we're, we are, how are you going to sort of get you know, like records out at this point that you own that dock or this or you know, like from from the Cuban government, no less. I mean, you know, I, how many I, people I who were direct owners are even alive at this point? You know, this is all have has no to idea. be like descendants, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is to say that this is preposterous. I think would be understating it or overstating it or whatever whatever the bad one i mean like why do we care about this why is this dry why is john bolton of all people getting up in front of the bay of pigs veterans and saying you're going to be able to sue carnival cruises thanks to president trump's strong stance against socialism listen american companies shouldn't be allowed to buy sugar that's grown on plantations where my you know great-grandparents used to own slaves that was our land (laughs) Unless I'm given you know, several hundred million dollars. I'm going to need a cut. You took my slaves. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's crazy. It's crazy to me because it's like, I mean, the idea that like uh, my, my the Cuban side of my family would have any interest in suing anyone over this sort of thing is it just seems absurd, you know? Like this has to be literally there must be like a dozen people in position to like benefit from this law. No, no, no one using it because there's like no one that that is in any position to use it. This is benefiting a few very privileged Cuban families who, you know, maybe rightfully were dispossessed. <laughs> if we're being real. Right. Like, But this is this is the level on which we are operating. And this is the level of issue that right. the Cuban program at this juncture is targeting. Right. right? Like because when there's... Trump is getting tough on Cuba, he's telling the cruise lines that they can no longer swing through the Havana port and have a, you know, historical, uh, you know, tour through old Havana and eat an empanada. You know, right. now they've got to go to Santo Domingo or something, you know, like, I mean, okay, who cares? Like, uh, or, you know, now you can sue the cruise line cause they stopped and like, but this is the level on which our Latin America policy and in particular, this Cuba embargo, uh, appears to be going. And the fact is again, with the secondary sanctions and the, and the, and the ability to sort of enforce, uh, pain upon other actors, just taking an easy example, Canadians love to go to Cuba. Just love to go to Cuba. It's, it's close. It's warm. Canada's cold. It's cheap. Um, providing them any kind of services or, or working on those transactions out of the U.S. at all, completely forbidden. You know, a French national wants to retire to Cuba. Give me an, ex- give me an example. What's a, what's a transaction that they could be? Sorry. Huh? I said, give me. I'm not going to give you any, any examples. <laughs> Actually, a French nationals want to retire to Cuba. You know, a French bank wants to send their pension check uh, to that person. Can't, you know, the the risk of doing so and running afoul of U.S. sanctions is just too high, right? And so banks just won't touch it. Uh, companies just won't touch it when otherwise lawful activity is going on. Uh, and to what end? Uh, I'm guessing if 60 years didn't do it, um, maybe the next 60 will bring uh, a better result. Yeah, and, right? to, and to hit on that point, I mean, the, the thing we've been talking about this whole time is how they're just unearthing this, like, ancient history uh, in order to try to continue to hit something that no one even remembers or cares about, but is, you know, imposing significant misery on the people of Cuba uh, by economically isolating them. But 
all of this should it, if the only thing you have is to, is to you know uh, unearth and disinter some old statute that nobody can even sue under and talk to people who are decaying in front of your face uh, at, at the <laughs> Bay of Pigs Vets Association to announce it uh, it didn't fucking work you lost yeah you didn't you didn't uh, you didn't incite the people of Cuba to overthrow the regime uh, instead instead uh, they united behind it well, and kudos to the to the Cuban economy for withstanding. I mean, like the the size of them, the proximity to us, our centrality in the world, the fact that they have resisted and maintained through a sixty year period is nothing short of remarkable. On the one hand, but it's an incredible victory. In fairness to our boys, in fairness to our boys, I, you said we lost. I'm going to call it a draw. Right you know, I think it's too early to say we've lost. <laughs> we're at a stalemate. You know, let's be. Yeah, real. we're still waiting <laughs> to see how it comes out. We still got a chance. All right, you want to jump to a rand next? I love it, So from a, from a, from a, uh, an embargo that is older than me to one that is younger than me, right? Um, this is only 40 years uh, in, the, in, in the making. Um, the Iran program. Uh, I think we started imposing uh, sanctions, which I think were actually a full embargo back in 79 uh, with the overthrow of the, the Shah. Uh, and then began uh, at some point in the 80s uh, worrying about their uh, support for terrorism and then turning our focus in the 90s to this idea that they were developing a, a nuclear weapon. Right. Um, so we've had some form of sanctions or embargo against them, at least since 79. Um, one thing to note uh, with respect to this idea that Iran, ha Iran has uh, nuclear uh, ambitions, um, the genesis of the nuclear program in Iran was uh, something called Atoms for Peace, which was a U.S. program uh, in the 70s, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> where we helped them develop nuclear technology. <laughs> yeah. That and now apparently right. we're mad at them uh, for uh, having the uh, audacity to develop uh, nuclear technology. Uh, but I think the current embargo in its, in its modern form was started under Clinton in the 90s. Um, and we began introducing secondary sanctions, which are really important to the Iran program uh, around that time. Um, and starting in the 2000s, we started getting the world involved, uh, in particular around the nuclear stuff uh, and UN 
I think also had uh, started imposing uh, sanctions after that. Right. And, you know, the thing about Iran sanctions is um, it's one of the cases where, like, you can actually make an argument for some policy success, right? Like, I mean, f- on the one hand, like, the regime has is been there for my yeah. entire life. But it did eventually, you know, in theory, that or that and some combination of, of other things got them to the table for the, you know, the nuclear deal, Obama's nuclear deal, like him and Kerry and, and that whole team, they actually hammered out something legitimate and, and I think good. Right. Well, that, I mean, that was a stated, that was the stated aim of, of the ratcheting up of the, of the sanctions yeah. in particular, the secondary sanctions uh, under Obama against Iran was to get them to the table. Right. right. And to solve this nuclear crisis. Uh, right. And we got the, the JCPOA, right. The joint comprehensive plan of action, Right. Uh, with various European states, Iran, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, if that was the stated aim, we achieved the aim. And then, of course, we filled our diaper uh, two years <laughs> later and fucking withdrew it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really incredible. It's, I mean, it's the same story with Cuba, right? We like our rapprochement and, uh, rapprochement and then that was, that was drawn back and and then the jcpoa and then that was taken back we're we're really just yeah you know now that you, now that you mention it i mean it is just a lot of us i mean the story of our sort of embargoes against these regimes is a lot of us just flailing around grappling with our own demons right right, <laughs> as, right. as these guys right. just kind of look on in horror like <laughs> what the fuck are you doing <laughs> As we, you're opening Cuba, you're closing Cuba, Iran deal. Now you're now you're running out saying the, it was a terrible deal. You know, like who 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 can who can manage? Uh, I mean, like we're imposing sort of our own psycho, you know, our own psychological issues with uh, on these people. It's it's kind of embarrassing. In entire generations, you know, born lived and died in the shadow of our own like fucking working out our psychological <laughs> as we just mood swing as a, as from a nation. <laughs> yeah manic to yeah. depressed on these nations i i will say that i think that the late term action in the obama administration at least bears note here at least in the two that we were looking at now maybe they couldn't have come to the jcpoa earlier i don't know uh but the the cuban Reproachment was in 2015 and you know it's not that long you know you haven't created a norm such that it's more difficult to break and then so they just break it immediately uh right i i don't know i don't know that anything that you put up under the obama administration holds up under the trump administration but it does counsel i think at least if we are going to be susceptible to those kind of mood swings and flipping back and forth uh to the extent that other countries aren't just we don't trust you and we're just going to make war on you which you know they may be rapidly approaching that conclusion uh but but to the extent they don't at least for the next democrat regime if you want to do stuff like this you need to get you need to hit the ground running you can't you can't just take a mulligan on this shit for your first term and say, well, look, we're going to have Clinton as secretary of state because, you know, party healing and all that shit. And I'll, I'll come. I'll, right. You don't have time for I'll, that. You have to get norms yeah. and a working relationship and interoperation in place. Uh, so that way it's more difficult to disentangle. Right. Well, I, I don't want to, you know, like I don't want to speak 
eloquently in favor of norms or, but I, or 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 us as a as a good actor in the no. world. But one of the one of the reasons that for the centrality of our financial system, for the centrality of our dollar, is that historically we have proposed at least a certain stability. Right, that you're not going to be subject to the vicissitudes of our electoral cycles and you know massive mood swings. You know, like we're kind of going to go from, you know, a right wing government to a center right government. But you know, there's not going to be these sort of crazy right. fluctuations in the way that, like, you know, in Italy, like you know, fascist and communist, and you know, like I mean, right. that was our central value proposition. <laughs> but it seems like. Uh, maybe that's out of the window now. You know, if if you're going to go from 2015, we're opening up Cuba to 2017, 20, you know, 18, we're shutting it back down to, you know, Iran deal to no Iran deal. You know, I'm wondering if not just our overuse of sanctions, but the fact that we can't fucking make our minds up uh, doesn't sort yeah. of argue against uh, looking to us as kind of the bedrock stability for the global financial system. But I guess time will tell. Uh, in any event, the the the, the Iran program, right, I mean, it's it's all encompassing. Any imports from Iran, most direct or indirect exports into Iran, transactions with Iranian banks, facilitations of transactions, investments, trading in oil and petrochemicals, which is a big one. Right. Um, all of that uh, is outlawed in uh, Iran. And in fact, to note, our major concession. In the JCPOA, which in, in addition to unfreezing certain assets, which apparently drove Trump insane, uh, was that we would stop the secondary sanction regime. So it wasn't even that we lifted any sanctions on Iran itself. It's just we'd stop fucking with French banks uh, who processed a transaction <laughs> with Iran or a, or a, or a, or a right. Chinese bank or something else, right? And, and it's interesting. It was it was super comprehensive, but there was like this one little loophole that gave rise to this whole um, sort of fascinating little ecosystem um, uh, that actually led to like crazy scandal in Turkey, um, which was that you could still uh, deal it, deal in the gold trade with non-government Iranian entities, and so of course. You know, the Iranian government set up a bunch of like straw gold trade gold traders who would then um, sell uh, Iranian oil for Turkish lira, which is not a useful currency in Iran and not a great foreign exchange currency. But then they'd use the Turkish lira to buy Turkish gold and in in Turkey. Right. So none of this runs afoul of any of the sanctions. Um, and then they would sell the gold in the UAE for more useful currencies. Um, and, and this was like a massive, it was something like two thirds of Iran's total, like foreign currency holdings at one point, uh, it was like tens of billions of dollars, uh, maybe over a hundred billion dollars worth of trade that went on like this, um, in, in the years running up to the JCPOA. And, and it was actually kind of shutting this down was one of the last things that happened, before the JCPOA. And I think that was like maybe the last bit of leverage the Obama administration got on um, Iran. But it, but it, it's kind of crazy stuff. I mean, there's a huge scandal in Turkey. It hit uh, Erdogan 
when he was prime minister, his, a bunch of his cabinet resigned, and he had to fire a bunch of Turkish police officers who were investigating him and his son for corruption. <laughs> it's fucking, it's crazy. Like, it's like it, the the sort of ramifications of this, like the, how far it reaches, um, you know, into all sorts of other countries is 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 crazy. Uh, you know, it, it, it just breeds more corruption and more uh, uh, black market shit. Um, that that gets a hold in other corners of the of the world, really. Like you can't just starve these countries and expect them to just like lie down and take it, right? They're going to find other ways to to, to engage in commerce. Yeah, the, the, when you squeeze yeah. the balloon, the other pieces of the balloon get fatter. Like there's a there's a substitution effect that's going to take place, and these people are going to try to arrange. But there's but but one thing. They're going to try to make arrangements that, you know, might become black market or laundering or, or, or sort of a, you know, move through a loophole. But there's an irreducible and inescapable, you know, tax and haircut that you're going to pay even when you find those things. Because I remember I remember one of the Iranian sanctions, I think, around in, in a, under the Obama administration early on uh, was on Iranian oil. And but there but there were some. There were some allowances for, I think, for Russia and China to purchase. And that's great. Uh, one because maybe it would be difficult to impose sanctions on on uh, you know such powerful nations, right? When you're really directly targeting, but also it has the effect of limiting Iran's customers to just a very few people, and so they come in and they go, well, I understand that we're not really competing with anybody else, so we're happy to we're happy right. to purchase, but yeah. you know we're gonna need a I'm gonna need a discount. <laughs> right? right i mean i'm not if, yeah. I, if i'm just buying it at market yeah. rate i can get it from anywhere but i understand that you got to get it you want to you want to sell it you can sell it to me so let's let's take right. 10 off the top right or you know in the in the gas for gold scheme it's like the guys running it were skimming off the top and that was like this guy I, this guy's like one of my favorite people his name is reza zarab and he's like a fucking king he took something like one to two hundred million dollars <laughs> out of like uh you know the the iranian regime's pocket yes. i guess uh in facilitating all the gas for gold trades and like got rich married a fucking pop star in turkey like living the life this guy was a fucking yes king yes. it's it's awesome he's he went to jail in the u.s but i you know <laughs> eventually but before he was really he was really doing great <laughs> yeah before that but, uh, yeah, you know, but it, it creates, yeah, uh, markets for, for people to get rich, you know, or, or to get deals or, or whatever, you know, it's, uh, hold, it's bad. Hold up. Hold up. Yes. I just, I just looked this up. I just looked this up. So I didn't, I didn't really know much about Reza Zarab. In October 2019, Bloomberg News reports that President Donald Trump had, in 2017, urged his then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to persuade the Department of Justice to drop its case against Zarab. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's he's testifying against the the head of that Turkish bank that's being... uh, um, prosecuted now for all the gas for gold schemes like six years later because they're pissed at Turkey. So that's how they're trying to squeeze Turkey now with this. Um, and so maybe it's like in exchange for his cooperation with, with that It stuff. might be. I that just might, looked it sense. up and this is a guy who has hired Giuliani to intercede with the administration with him. So we can safely conclude that it has a very <laughs> high chance of having blown up in his face. 
<laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily tie Trump's affinity uh, to this guy uh, to his you know hostility to Turkey as much as maybe the fact that he's just a a sleazy guy who likes to marry Turkish pop stars and you know live like a king. You know? Like I mean, I think they have a lot. Yeah. I think it seems like they have yeah, a lot in like common. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes, seems like a Trump, like a Mar-a-Lago kind of guy. You know? And 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 someone who almost certainly has profited from the vast uh you know economy of money laundering in evasion of u.s sanctions is donald trump like absolutely all his fucking failed hotel deals in like uh i think one in 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 the middle east and in in russia were absolutely like money laundering fronts for for sanctions evasions i've seen this sort of like joy reed donut types implying that um you know, Trump had extensive dealings with the uh, Islamic uh, Republican Guard or Corps or something. But I don't know. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Um, but uh, I also like the idea of Trump knowing enough about sanctions to try to evade them seems uh, impossible no, on its face too. <laughs> no, I don't see Trump as like a, a mastermind in any of this, but uh, as a vehicle, you know, Trump. Yeah. Trump buildings, Trump towers, I think very failed construction projects. That's like a classic money laundering vehicle. That's right. Yeah. And the people he hires as counsel are the kind that like get a, you know, they would get a letter from OFAC and then be like, they would Google, what the fuck is OFAC? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, so uh, again, we had the JCPOA in, in 2015. We, we we agreed to let go of secondary sanctions. We released the funds, as we talked about, and we provided access for certain transactions, at least, to the global banking system, or SWIFT in particular. Michael, I don't know if you have anything coherent to say about SWIFT. I'm not, I'm not hugely knowledgeable on it. I mean, SWIFT transactions, it's just, I mean, it's... It's a clearinghouse, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of the, the way I think about it is the way banks talk to each other. And I think getting into more detail than that is just can be kind of very technical and very, very boring. But it's, you know, any, any you know, interbank exchange or foreign exchange is going to have swift messages going from bank to bank telling them to, like, debit one account and credit another. It's like payment instructions to, like, complete the transaction, basically. So with the JCPOA, it seemed like things were going okay, right? There was certain rebounding of the of the oil trade uh, yeah. in Iran. Uh, there was less sort of uncertainty about doing business with Iran and what was permitted and what was not. Um, and then with Trump, uh, in essence, he signaled he was going to be withdrawing uh, even before his election and then uh, quickly uh, made good on that, thus sort of – Again, entering this era of tough talk and kind of destroying whatever it was that the that the original sanctions had sort of produced, which was this deal. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, sort of deciding that we're going to pound them with new sanctions. But, like, what's what's left to sanction? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, I mean... I guess the answer to that question is that like, among, the, among the things they did was to, 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 to target the IRGC as SDNs and put them on various terrorist lists and other things, which I suppose directly on some level enabled the, the, the assassination of Soleimani. Um, right. And it sort of brought 
what was 2.1 billion or thereabouts barrels a day uh, of oil trade out of Iran under JCPOA down to 200,000 or something. But um, to what end? Like, what do we think is going to happen? I mean, I know. I mean, like, uh, they're 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 trying to carve out new slices. They haven't hit like the the metals industry is what seems to be the cluster that I'm looking at in the in the new OFAC SDN lists. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't fucking work. It didn't work in Cuba. Hasn't worked in Iran. Um, the the end the end goal appears to be the immiseration of the Iranian people. Yeah. It's it's hard to draw the conclusion. I mean, I think there's the weird Trump Obama psychology, right? Where like, you know, the dismantling of the JCPOA is as much just about like fucking with Obama's legacy as anything else. And right, like it's a it's maybe a mistake to draw too too many conclusions about U.S. aims in Iran from from that, but. Um, at the same time, it's like, what could you possibly hope to accomplish beyond what was already accomplished, you know? And and it's hard it's hard to see what that is, other than, yeah, it, just misery for the Iranian people, which which yeah, maybe is the point, um, quite possibly is the point. Well, I, I mean, are you going to go back to the table with the U.S. if you're Iran for yeah. another deal, cert- like a different deal? Certainly like- not with fucking Trump of... <laughs> But you'd be insane like, unless you waited a few cycles and saw that right. saw that there was some return to like that, that there's not a huge mood swing in between the elections such that any deal right. is you know at the at the risk of you know just like a tired election cycle where it's been eight years and you just can't muster your people they're not mad enough. Yeah, yeah, you gotta like at least wait out this this election right and see what the next administration, if it's a Sanders or Biden or Warren or whoever, um, what their temperature is, right? And maybe you're going to get some relief no matter what. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know why anybody's coming to the table with the U.S. at this point. Like we're talking about like pulling out of NATO and shit. (laughs) Like, you know, like it's fucking like there nobody should trust us at this point. We could elect another Trump like very easily. Yeah, so if you don't we're, so if you don't think you enough. can you, I mean maybe they do think but but if you don't think and we know you can't move, you know, the administ- the Iranian administration to to come back to the table with a deal, what they're hoping for is this like absurd mechanism that I I don't know, they're thinking of like France, French Revolution or something, where, like, the people will rise up, you know, and the people who are, like, starved and their kids are dying of fucking measles or something because you stopped the vaccines from going into the country, and, like, they're the ones that are gonna, like, I don't know, like, take over the country, they're they're just gonna, they're they're gonna install a a United States-friendly, you're gonna turn it into a client state, because they're gonna they're gonna right. be so fucking grateful to the United States for having starved their two youngest children to death yeah. uh, that they want to make sure number <laughs> number three stays alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah. I mean, that, I mean that's an important point there, right? Because one of the things that we do from a from a sort of marketing perspective of the sanctions is like you know humanitarian exceptions, right? You can sell medicines and food and all this stuff. But 
we're also talking out of both sides of our mouth because we're saying if you fuck this up at all, you know, and if any of this medicine lands in the wrong hands or any of this food goes somewhere, uh, you know, sure, it's technically illegal. But if we catch you fucking this up, we're going to nail you to the wall. Right. So most companies run from those transactions, even on the even the ones that are permissible. Yeah, I was surprised when you told Um, me that earlier, because I had seen that those cases against these, you know, they were pressing cases against like an organization that. You know, it was they were fining them tens of thousands of dollars for like trying to get you know necessary medicines across the border. So what the fuck? What the fuck is this? And 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 you said and you said nope, if it goes the wrong entity. Well, how are you supposed yeah. to control? What the fuck are you supposed to do about that? Yeah, and and it's like it's similar with like banks, right? Like you can technically like non-U.S. banks can have Iranian operations, and as long as they keep it well segregated and there's no forex and all that, like no foreign exchange and. They, they can provide banking services to Iranians in Iran without running afoul of U.S. sanctions. But it's just all it takes is like a little, you know, slip. And, and so a lot of them just closed up shop and they're like, fuck it, whatever. And, you know, no thanks. And, and so then, you know, what, what are the only operating banks left in Iran? It's mainly state associated banks. And it, so you're making the population more dependent on the government not not less you know that's like yeah so for so for our listeners i mean i just just take yourself through it like empathize as much as you can with a person who's at the bottom and gets affected by this sanction you know what are you gonna do if in the near future and and we're gonna pivot to talking about this just now you know some other uh international body or or group of countries decides that uh the united states has had enough has had enough uh, time at the top, and we need to do something to sort of dethrone the dollar, or we need to impose, you know, some economic nonviolent. They've been saying these are nonviolent and principled. You know, they need some economic sanctions of their own, and we get our asses kicked, and you know, every thin margin business goes under, so you lose your fucking job, or your or your fat margin business becomes extremely thin, so you lose your fucking job there, Uh, and the goods on which your life is built, you can't find them, and even if you can, you can't afford them. And uh, your life becomes extremely meager, and your means become extremely meager. What the fuck are you going to do about it, okay? So, like, from there, that group of countries is now telling you, well, we hope that the, that the American people are going to rise up and overthrow their regime. What are you going to fucking do? You're not going to do <laughs> jack shit, right? And so, like, imagine that that's what we're telling these people, right? That's I could barely leave the house. You're not gonna because of anxiety. No. <laughs> you're, you're not gonna fucking do shit. Yeah. So the mechanism yeah. is completely absurd. Yeah, no, it is, and it's like you know, it's like, yeah, these. If you're like a fucking pistachio farmer or some shit, and you want to sell your pistachios to someone in, in Pakistan, but you know, fucking, you're extremely delicious pistachios. Iranian pistachios. Iranian pistachios are fucking. Yeah delicious they are as are iranian dates i will attest having tasted them both they're they're much better than the u.s but you can't sell them right because the fucking you know if you're trying to sell them in a nearby country that right like indian or pakistani currency that shit is worth jack in iran and iranian rial is worth jack in pakistan right And, and and so that's why foreign currencies all trade through the dollars because there's always a market for U.S. dollars uh, and you can always trade your currency for dollars and vice versa. 
And so you can trade real for dollars and rupees for dollars and blah, blah, blah. But when you can't actually trade real for dollars, you're fucked. And that's it. You can't do anything. You can't sell your pistachios. And you're just a little farmer and you're fucked. You're, 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 you don't have anything left. And, and that's, and the idea that you're supposed to be like thankful for or grateful to uh, the U.S., for this and motivated <laughs> by this to to do pro US things is insane. Yeah, and I want to hit like I, so I was reading this to you guys. But I, I sent you this screenshot. I was reading a uh, it's like a panel of a bunch of people from the Obama administration who met up like this yeah. last year, yes. right in, in 2019, yeah. and they were getting together to talk up how cool economic sanctions are and a little bit of like, listen, we did it the right way, but the Trump administration they're not doing it the right way, and uh, you got to do it the way we did it. Uh, but what they're doing is really dangerous with all the power that we aggregated and handed off to them. Uh, but you, you really should have left it in our hands and done it our way. Now, listen to this fucking delusional. I'm just going to read this paragraph because it is absolute fucking delusion. Uh, not long ago, sanctions were a blunt instrument, and often an embargo would harm bystanders as much as targets, and sanctions could be in place for decades. With growing economic consequence but little ability to compel another sovereign to change its behavior... Over the past decade, policymakers, including members of the advisory panel, finally honed these tools, and we now can marshal a broad international corporation to cooperation to surgically target pressure on bad actors and to ramp up the level of economic pain and circles of impact as needed while limiting spillover effects that could undermine cooperation of like-minded countries. It's fucking yeah. unbelievable. Like you are giving a yeah. blanket GDP haircut. Listen, listener, if if you yeah. if we take a ten percent, fifteen percent GDP haircut, let me tell you something. You're fucked. You're getting fucked. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is this it's is, nonsense. I, it's fucking nonsense. And these guys are just laundering their own behavior and looking back and going, "We never would have done it like this." You did fucking do it like this, and you crafted the yeah. system and handed it off to these fucking maniacs. No, I mean Obama of all people. I mean, like he was—he was. Uh, I mean, I hate to sort of lay another thing at his feet, but I mean, sort of the secondary sanctions got really ramped up under him. You know, yeah. um, this idea that we would take the pain outside of the sanctioned jurisdiction and you know directly impose it on you know people that were otherwise complying with the law, uh, who were not obliged to comply with the law, or doing things not in dollars or in other ways, and sanction them as well in order to get the get yeah, the he expanded the scope and made it the tool du jour and now they're like hey these guys are right. overusing this yeah now you've got pompeo bragging that things are so much worse for the iranian people you know <laughs> we're going to see them rise up and change the behavior of the yeah, regime sure. any day yeah, now. Absolutely. yeah yeah 100 right. that's gonna happen if only yeah. we had examples of, uh, of, of just people uh, in economies resisting this horseshit for decades upon decades, including, I don't know, the Iranian economy. Uh, <laughs> right, even if they tried, it wouldn't fucking work, right? But, but they're not going to try because what you instead get is, like, even if there are uh, injustices to be overcome in the Iranian uh, nation, what, what, what do you get when you see this? You get national pride, right? Correctly. Yeah. Like, you look at that, yeah. and then you... you you band together as a team. Yeah. One thing to note, um, I think we'll move into the sort of wrapping yeah. up, but, um, you know, even when 
countries like this index thing I, wa- I wanted to talk about just briefly because we talked about SWIFT and it's kind of the system by which the banks talk and everything else. And we've talked about the idea that for like just take the Iranian uh, sanctions, for example, there is uh, the ability to transact humanitarian transactions, medicine, food, those sorts of things. But there's no way to pay for it because the banks can't uh, facilitate any of it. So the EU uh, nations, particularly UK, France, and Germany, got together and tried to build this system called Instex uh, that would essentially be a swift replacement. Um, and of course, while this is completely compliant and actually facilitates the loopholes that are the humanitarian loopholes that your friend in that quote was taking such uh, pleasure in how we are do it in a humane way, um, right. we've got Trump Treasury officials threatening the EU now, telling them to carefully consider the sanctions exposure of Instex, right? right? And any activities that you in, in, that run afoul of our sanctions will result in severe consequences, including loss of access to the U.S. financial system. So, to the extent that anybody tries to set up a system to do just limited you know, humanitarian or other permissible transactions with Iran, we are now threatening to shut it down. And I think the reason that that's being done is in part because once you set up an Instex um, and you use it for humanitarian purposes, why not use it for buying oil too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it starts to begin to be this process where people maybe don't listen to us like right. they used to anymore and right. maybe like there are going to be uh more of these sorts of efforts in the future that sort of lessen our ability to make the world dance to 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 the u.s tune yeah and, and the yeah, sterling it, was the was the world reserve currency until it quickly wasn't right I, I was about to say the euro and the pound sterling are both like you know Obviously, the dollar is the premier uh, reserve currency, but the sterling and the euro are both like heavily traded forex currencies that can be used to facilitate a lot of transactions. Yeah. You know. Um, well, and so, the argument against the euro is well, oh, but you're subject to the vicissitudes and you know the the sort of instabilities inherent in the European Union. But <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You know, I I might take that bet at this point, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And so, you know, again, I'm not sure how much, you know, we can go deeply into what what might happen, but I got to imagine that at some point um, the world is going to look to other solutions. If we continue to make life so miserable for anybody who, who... dares run afoul of whatever our policy aim is this week uh i'm not sure i don't know yeah and that's that wouldn't be good for us like we (laughs) you know it's might be good for the world it it might be but yeah i mean it's worth considering what it would mean if the u.s dollar was no longer like a reserve currency or the premier reserve currency like that's uh, so much of our economy is predicated on, you know, our ability to borrow, which is in turn tied to like valuations of the dollar, right? And mm-hmm. and how people view it as a, as a, you know an important investment vehicle. 
Um, and, and so if it's something that you can't really trade a lot and it's not worthwhile, you know, you know, it's like a lot of stuff starts to get very, very shaky, very, very yeah, It's quick. outside of my expertise, but my understanding is that, you know, the United States carries a very large trade deficit, maybe the biggest in the world. And that part of the way we fund that is by having the reserve currency. And so if that gets kicked out, yeah. I mean, very quickly, bills are going to come due. We can't right. fucking pay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm no expert either, but I, uh, it's, you don't have to be an expert. I, I don't think to see like the lurking danger here. And the, uh, and the increasing and wrenching up incentives that both parties are hell bent on creating. Now, maybe like, maybe like Tark's saying, it's probably the best thing <laughs> to happen in the world. But yeah, I'm not sure you're talking about anything that's so bad. I will, I will yeah. say this, that yeah. within the, the, <laughs> the worldview, the frame of these people on both sides of this, like the, the liberals who end up running OFAC or the, or the Republicans, they don't want that. Neither side of them wants that. And they don't think that they're barreling us toward it, but they absolutely fucking are. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think that's the episode, friends. When the room is spinning and the words aren't sticking And the radio's on a better runaway model With a face like sin and a hat like a James Joyce novel Saying sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you are, get yourself a good car, get out of here. Well, put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. Put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land Driver's got names to fill two double barrels He spits out, grits out, only smokes carols And he's refreshing the world in mind, body and spirit Mind, body and spirit, you better hear it and fear it Oh, that's the spirit Saying sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you Let's go wrist to wrist and take your skin off of a blister If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar Doesn't matter what you are, get yourself a good car Get out of here Yeah Put the boys in the better line You're always talking about the boys in the better line